Welcome to 50 Years of Rainbow Activism, a podcast about change, love, resilience and the LGBTQI plus community in Scotland. My name's Dom and supported by Pink Saltire and Our Story Scotland. I spent a month travelling around the country interviewing members of the LGBTQI plus community who are aged over 50. In sharing their stories here, we want to celebrate what our community enjoyed today, reflect on what it was once like to be LGBTQI plus in Scotland, and now what it's like to be seen as a community elder. This episode we meet four members of the community, and each shares a story linked with the many LGBT plus centres in Glasgow. Thomas, um, not enough lot to say other than I'm a gay man. Um, I've been a member of this community for longer than I care to remember. Um, I'm currently 63 years of age, or well, I look 25, as everybody tells me. Um, and generally speaking, uh, I have more of a Twitter presence than anything else now, um, and I've never ever Dave on the, um, the Twitter sphere. David shares some of the experiences and personalities that shaped his involvement in the centre. The centre, right, okay, Dixon Street Centre, I was introduced to Dixon Street Centre as part of my switchboard routine. Um, the guy that was the treasurer ran the icebreakers and he asked me could I just run icebreakers this particular month because he couldn't do it. And I'd never done icebreakers, so I didn't know, so I went in with every kind of bit of literature from switchboard to grab several hold on, laid it all on the table. And this group arrived and all sat in the teas and chairs. There was three guys who were in their late sixties, maybe early seventies, and cracked at the knitting and just knitted. And this was their story. They sat on that settee once a month, the three of them, and knitted together and just caught up. That was their time. And icebreakers facilitated that. So that alone made icebreakers worthwhile for me. Um then you just get people turning up who didn't know quite. I, there was one guy I remember, um, a really nice, lovely, beautiful, magnificent Asian guy turned up, and God, he was film star material. You know, he was that kind of guy, and everybody literally went oh, as he walked in, and he was he was he had been kind of earmarked by his family to be a professional, and oh, he, he, I mean, I can't express everything about him was beautiful. He was a lovely, lovely man, and he just wanted to come and tell somebody who was gay that he too was gay. But there was nothing he could do about it. His family and culture, etc., meant there was nothing he could do. And he said, well, we're always here every month. No, he says, I just have to get on with my life. I just wanted people to know I existed. Still remember him perfectly. I can still remember the radiance in the room as he walked in. And he was a truly lovely, lovely man. And I hope he's, I hope he's okay and still going. It does sound sad, but um, he achieved what he aimed to do. And there was a whole group of about 30 of us that day who'd all met him and we all knew he existed and that's all he wanted. Um, so we did icebreakers, um, they just all thought I was off my head, you know, I'd turned out all this literature that they probably could have written most of it, um, but I didn't know that and that was my that was my introduction to the LGBT centre 
met the manager at the time, um, she was lovely. Um, um, she introduced me to the lesbian that was the photocopier and it didn't respond to me. And when I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, on the finger action. <laughs> and I never forgot her for that. That just was so wonderful. So uh, that was fine. Uh, then I went back, decided myself I should really go in as a customer and sort of get the whole customer perspective. So of course I turned up and popped myself in, plumped myself down. I had three bags of shopping the first time, and I always remember that. I had a big shopping screen. Three bags of shopping and uh, got myself a cup of coffee and some macaroni cheese. And I looked around thinking, well, you know, people are going to work to talk to me. No, nobody. Fine, okay, had all that paid for my bill. Be bit of an exchange with Eddie, who was the guy behind the bar. Paid my bill, went away out, did this twice. Not a soul looked at me. There was a couple of characters I thought were a bit dodgy, and I thought, well, maybe they'll think the same as me. And it was Alice that told me, David, he says, dressed in when they come here, he says, they think you're the CID. Because <laughs> I was coming straight from work and I was dressed in my kind of military uniform type stuff. But that's how I always characterised my, 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 my working clothes. That was my kind of armour. Um, so there was this wee gay guy in there, but I had to be this manager who looked after people and cared for people. So that was that. So of course I, I went home after that, put my t-shirt, my denims on, turned up in my sannies, and suddenly I was, oh yeah, we well, recognise you, <laughs> and I was fine after that. I did a self-defence class there for guys, but there was I remember there was a young guy. Um, he was about sixteen, and we did the self-defence class together, and he was. He was quite a tiny, frail guy, um, and I was quite deferring to him, and I didn't really want to break him, because I was kind of the old I am now, and I really didn't want to snap him in two, but the guy that was running the course was really excellent, and I don't know why they don't still do these kind of courses, because it was great for this wee guy's confidence, you could see this guy coming to life, because he could defend himself, and it wasn't, there was no violence, it was all about moving, everything was in circles. And it was about if you've got a hold all throw the hold all at a person and stop them in their tracks, that gives you time to run away. All basic stuff like that. But this young man started with the self-defence class to build his self-esteem. He then expressed to somebody else that he'd really wanted to go to university. And somebody said, well, what's holding you back? Go to the night classes. You've done the self-defence class. You've seen how you meet people. He did that. Did all his night classes, got all his qualifications, and he ended up doing university. And he's now down in Manchester working exactly where he wanted to work. Um, the first real life trans person I met, I didn't even know, was a trans man. And I, um, I wouldn't be too much to say I had a wee crush on this trans man. And the reason I had a wee crush on this trans man was because everything I stood for, this trans man stood for. Um, be honest, be open, be myself, be a good example to people. Um, and he was involved in one of the charities at the time. And I always thought, my goodness me, you just, you're right on my street. You are such a decent wee guy and a real dynamo, full of energy. And the person I'm talking about um, wrote a piece in the house magazine of the LGBT centre saying, I've got something to tell you. I'm moving into a new job within the centre and I think it's important I should tell you I wasn't always the man that you see and he came out as trans and he explained the story because he was going to be working with trans people and the last thing he wanted to do was get into a situation where he wasn't being genuine and honest so he effectively outed himself 
And I remember I wrote him a card, um, and I sent him a card, I burst into tears. Because I thought, that would have been 2002, maybe 2003, and I thought, to have gone through what he went through, only really, if you think about it, informed of my experience of April Ashley all those years ago, to have gone through everything he went through, to be this huge positive force in the community. I was totally overwhelmed with that, totally overwhelmed with it. And I wrote my wee card saying, my God Almighty, I may have had a hit for you before, but my goodness me, I am just full of love for you. This is just such an impressive story. The next trans person I got involved with, who I love dearly and has now passed on long ago, was Gladys Patterson, who has done BBC documentaries, was right out there, terrified every way that walked into Dixon Street, demanding that they come away in, even if they'd made a mistake. They suddenly found themselves in the bar and they'd be totally accepted. I was only in the directions. <laughs> How'd I get out? <laughs> oh, all right, yeah, they're okay. Gladys heard them back out again in the section to let her heels. <laughs> what a character Gladys was. And Gladys had a marvellous, marvellous story, and I memorialised that to some extent in the wee thing I did for Scotsky. Um, all lowercase, um, www.scotsky forward slash Gladys, everything's lowercase, and the wee thing that I wrote about her is there, and it tries and captures in two or three pages what Gladys told me and my big um, desire had been to get her here to do a, a, an interview. Because you literally walked out into the Serengeti Plain and you saw all these wild animals wandering about. And the place just lit up when Gladys told your stories. She was wonderful and she lived with Michelle and um, the two of them supported one another and Gladys supported all her girls and she ran the McLeavy group. And Gladys, you know, she, she would jump in the car, at a, you know, drop her hat and she would drive through the night to get to, to Brighton to sort out a doctor that was making it hard for one of her girls to make sure the person was getting the right treatment at the right time. So Gladys was a really, what a huge leap in my understanding of trans people, um, and I'm forever grateful to her for that. can't think of anybody better to front the Dixon Street Centre, because Dixon, I don't know if you ever were in Dixon Street, it wasn't very welcoming when you went in. You went up a wee lane behind what was the Summerfield supermarket at Dixon Street, you went up this wee lane, and it was all rainbowy, it looked lovely, but then you went into this kind of darkish um, reception, which was quite vast, relatively speaking, and if you were small and feeling really terrified, it wasn't exactly, you know, you had to go to the right to get to the bar area and the cafe, cafe bar area, um, and we realised people were sometimes wandering about alone in this dark space and it was telling them everything that they hated about the LGBT centres so we decided we needed a reception desk and it was trouble was because people didn't want to out themselves by sitting at a reception desk because we used to get people running across from the straight pub down at the end of the lane just abusing you um, and then running back out again because they were so brave you know and then we put Gladys on the reception and that all stopped. Next we hear from a friend of mine. He talks about Paisley's branch of the Scottish Homosexual Rights Group, the centre before Dixon Street, and a group I am very familiar with. Yes, Donald Gray, um, 68 years of age, um, retired, happy, and I would say, uh, if you want me a definition, I'll just say an average Scottish gay man. Paisley, because it had an SHRG group, meant that we had to exist, we had to function, 
and we had to push for ideals to the public. So we did various things of activists because you had to exist in a, a region, a wee area of Paisley. We did things like monthly discos. Now that entailed quite a bit of organising because you just kind of say, let's get together for a dance. You've really got to have somewhere to have it. So we used the Hunter Hall, uh, which was the Glasgow West of Scotland College Union, as our base. We also had the EUEW Hall, which sometimes we couldn't get because it was booked. So we had two alternatives. We had the Hunter Union uh, Hall. You had to hire um, a bar. You had to get a licence, an official licence, which you had to procure and have dated and named because you got, you can't just get a licence with nobody's name on it. So you had to use SHRG as the actual um, name under the licence. Um, you had to book discos or you would use live music. There would be live music at some of them, but most of them were discos. And there was a lot of people who did discos from various functions and all that. We got their names. They weren't all gay people, but it was work. And they came and they actually enjoyed themselves. The monthly discos was a great source of income and also a great service to the community because it was an alternative to Glasgow, an alternative to Edinburgh. And they were enjoyed. So, you know, people looked forward to them. And we did that. Well, I joined about, what, 75, 76. And we did it for a good seven or eight years, you know. You're putting a higher profile in the community. So they know your existence. They know where you are. There had been a centre for LGBT in Glasgow prior to the Dixon Street one. We did frequent it. It was not, there was no alcohol in it, but it wasn't, it wasn't licensed. It was at the end of Sucky Hall Street. We went up into a stairwell close, which opened out into a pen. And then from the pen, we went into the centre. Love the cafe. Great, great humour. Great mix of people. Um, I have a photograph, or there is a photograph existent of me, with Stuart Nicholson and Bill McConaughey in the last day of the centre in Suckerhill Street. I think it was 95, I think. Yeah, it was, I think it was 94 or 95 because the centre, Dixon Street, didn't open until 96. That went in 2006. And uh, George Gallery opened it. <laughs> Very high profile, George. <laughs> um, so the scene was quite used to pubs, clubs and centres, eventually. We didn't know we were living, you know, it was, it was ideal. Because other, other, other towns and cities over in the UK looked on with absolute envy. London doesn't have a centre. Leeds didn't have a centre. But, you know, Birmingham didn't have a centre. Glasgow was always first with these things. I'm always amazed at that. Glasgow was always first with everything that really broke the moulds. Maybe didn't continue them, but definitely started them. Well, to say the scene is a kind of alcoholic uh, environment uh, is not a healthy one, I don't think. 
we saw a lot of people you know, succumb to that. Um, and because of their existence, because they're gay, they had to feel, they have to consume alcohol to give them courage to mix with other gay people or whatever. Um, but I'm not a doctor, and I didn't kind of sermonise or anything like that. I didn't prefer, I did prefer an alcoholic-free scene. And that's what you got sometimes with the centres. You definitely got it with the first one. With the one in Dixon Street, it was an older building, but they had a cafe bar. They had rooms for rental. They had room to expand. You were encouraged to do your own thing. If you if you didn't have a room that catered for certain topics or whatever, you were encouraged to start your own groups. And we did. We started one called uh, Diverse Artists. Sounds rather grand, but all it really was was people who wanted to meet once a month uh, to exchange either poetry, music, culture, books, poetry, whatever, you know. And it was lovely. And we sometimes did some uh, singing in some of the folk bars, like Vicky Bar, like uh, Sloan's, close there as well. Uh, that were all into folk music, our protest music and all that. And there was people we knew who were quite talented singers and all that kind who would go and do wee kind of like nights and certain pubs and all that. That was really nice as well. I like that. So Diverse Arts did some of that. Um, and it was at one of the meetings in 2002 that somebody said, we'll have a meeting and we'll talk about our culture. Culture, background, history. That was what it was. And I was at that meeting. And Jamie was at that meeting. Arbor. Oh, there was a whole load of people there who eventually became diverse artists. Um, and basically it was a, it was a, a no-brainer. Um, I think Jamie brought up the topic of who's recording our history. Who... Can we, or how can we capture our history so that other generations' future can see what we had to do to exist? And a lot of us said, hey, you're perfectly right, nobody's doing it. So we made a commitment at that meeting to establish a group that would record, we could archive, sounding ridiculous at the time to aspire to archive, but we wanted to have it for everyone's benefit, not just ours. We wanted everybody to be able to see and follow our story, which is what it was all about. So Our Story Scotland started that meeting. And it was amazing how quick things moved from the... It's always amazing me how fast people can be. Uh, we'd arranged a committee. We'd already got office bearers. Jamie was doing some of the background research into where can we go, how can we go, uh, with regards to being a charity. That was a wee bit down the line, but we had to establish ourselves, so we decided to do an exhibition. That was the first exhibition that we showed in Dixon Street, which was wonderful. Becoming visible. And everybody was asked to contribute. People contributed paintings, poetry, 
you know, it was amazing what came out of that 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 exhibition, and it was so well received. Ah, uh, it was. It was just so well. We we underestimated the whole subject, and then I think myself and a few others thought this is this has got to go somewhere. I'm going to do something really with that, and it rolled from there. It rolled from the first exhibition to contacting Seven Eighty Four, the theatre group. They had an outreach programme. Mental health was coming into focus at that time. That's where Sectioned came from, which was the play in the Arches. And wonderful to work with 784. I mean, they're an amazing theatre group. Uh, always topical, always niche, always on the bunny. You know, they knew what they were doing. Um, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful experience working with them. Okay, it was only two nights for the public. But it was two nights we'll never forget, and it was two nights that somebody can look back and go, we did it. Another member of the Diverse Artists group that also starred in Section is Angela. Here she's joined by John as he discussed by Plus Glasgow, another group born off the centre. Well, I became involved in about 2000, 2001. Uh, I was living in London, I had come up, my marriage had ended and I was up, I was at a stage where my attraction to women seemed to sort of go quite high, you know, I was, I hadn't had particularly strong attractions to women before then but I was always aware of it, so then it started to cause me a wee bit of confusion and I thought, uh, and I joined the bi group, that's when I, when I found out about the bi group and then I met my pa- my partner there, my partner at the time, who is also by, um, and I just became involved in the group. So I went from being a member of the group to actually facilitating it when the other person left, and that's more or less what I've been doing since, on and off. So that was before it even became a charity, and then I took a break for a while. So and then we came back again. So. <laughs> Kept coming back like a bad penny. <laughs> we've had various numbers come along. We've had people who are closeted. You know, uh, the people that we support, you know, are quite small because it's that small number that it's it's just that other other people who maybe identify by plus don't need that kind of support, and it's not those kind of people we were attracting because they they were already out happy in their in their own communities. I mean, I had my own personal experience of biphobia. I had a, a group of lesbians come up and split me and this girl up. You know, they just... Because uh, we were actually out on a date and she knew the girl. And the next thing I knew, she'd, she'd went off with her and left me. So they'd been ganging up on her, basically. And then she phoned me and apologised. And then I thought, OK... And then we went out as friends, and then she'd done the same thing again. So I was quite kind of sort of distraught at the time, you know. I thought I did off with that. I was I was on dating sites, and I got asked for threesomes. The usual, you know. <laughs> that was the main reason I joined the group because I was just a bit fed up with it all. And at that, at that particular time, I was monogamous. I'm in a polyamorous relationship now, but I wasn't. I was monogamous then. And I was quite affronted that I was being asked for threesome. And some guy said, um, 
Aye, he would soon sort me out, you know, that lesbian out of me, you know, with his you know what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a group, we've, we've tended prides, we've done a lot of stuff with Stonewall Scotland. I'm a, a Stonewall Scotland's school role model. Uh, yeah, try to think. I've been involved in so many things, it's actually hard to actually summarise it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, basically, since 2001, mm-hmm. I was involved in the group in some way or other. And because, it, and, and we got feedback from people, this is when it became more than, and then there was the difficult conversations between the two different identities, uh, bisexuality and pansexuality. Mm-hmm. It became an issue, and people didn't want, because we weren't seen as inclusive. You know, although we were, we were aware of it. I think in, in general, there was a general disagreement about what bi meant and what pan meant. And for us as a group, it was always, it was always all genders and we were trans inclusive because mm-hmm. we had trans people who came along to the group. Mm-hmm. But because we didn't have that wee plus sign, that was, we were seen as not inclusive. So that's what we done. Um, but at the same time, you know, we had to take into account the people that like myself, and when I first came out, that I didn't even know what bi was, never mind pan, you know, and I thought, okay, so you, because you've defined what pansexuality is, I've got to change my identity. And I thought, that's not very fair, and I thought, why can't you just identify as that, and I'll identify as this? We'll all be all happy together. <laughs> so, so we had to develop as a group, you know. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, when we, we, uh, it was, it was at the same time as we we withdrew uh, charitable status because it was just un- unmanageable. We weren't running as a charity. We weren't we weren't fundraising or anything like or raising any money. There mm. we expect there was only two of us. It was only John and I, and we were doing the peer support, but we were expected to do the accounts, the yeah. policies, and, and the doc. So we were we were yeah, running, reporting, we were running ragged and we couldn't yeah. we couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so it was getting to the stage where we couldn't meet the commitment, so we had to. So we yeah. approached Oscar and said, "We can't do this." Yes. You know, um, it just was wasn't possible for the two of us to do it. And then so we've reverted back to our how it was in the beginning, a bypass support group. Because before we were even by Scotland, we were actually mm-hmm. by Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And then when the Edinburgh by group started up, mm-hmm. uh, we obviously recognised that they, they were our opposite number on the, on the other post and, and we mm-hmm. started to link arms and then and then uh, um, attend each other's events. And then it seemed the most obvious thing just to join up uh, into a single group. But that's where by Scotland came from. Uh, and mm-hmm. then obviously um, when when we withdrew to our status, um, it seemed the obvious thing just to bring the changes by having a change of name that reflected how we actually were because the Edinburgh Bank Group had dissolved some time before mm-hmm. uh, and they'd actually been replaced by, by a different uh, group called Edinburgh Bank Beyond uh, yeah. who were so we were friend, very friendly with them but, but they're two completely um, different uh, organisations mm-hmm. uh, and so they said obvious thing bring the changes um, yeah. uh, and uh, effectively revert back to being by Glasgow, but but to reflect mm. the the changes within um, the LGBTQIA disc- discourse, mm-hmm. um, 
just to show that, that the world has moved on. Because it's education for us, because although we're bi, it doesn't mean say we know about trans issues or, you know, yeah. as aware as we could have been. No. But just to, to, to demonstrate <laughs> in, a, in a more pointed way uh, our openness to people of variant sexualities. No, people are disinclined to put to put a, a, a label on themselves. It's a it's an often repeated phrase. In fact, I think that I must say it every 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 two weeks. Uh, in some contexts, another that labels, as they say, are for soup cans. But have you ever tried going into a supermarket uh, to buy a can of soup and, and they didn't put labels on the soup cans? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what the that's what the labels are for. It's not it's not to label people, put them in a place. It's so mm-hmm. that. Other people can recognise what your sexuality is to engage with you. My attitude is that you know I think we need to like understand each other. It's like anything, you know, in any yeah. sort of group, there's differences of opinion. Yeah. That when when we both mm-hmm. came onto the uh, the scene and and the world of activism, um, mm-hmm. it was an awful lot more. People felt it an awful lot more necessary to get behind something like a standard and, and stick to it and, and hold your ground. And I think we were probably unconsciously being informed by gay politics, even though at that time we were often uh, holding our ground against uh, gay people who, who uh, just didn't, didn't uh, sympathise with our point of view. But simply because bisexuality, by the word bisexual, in many contexts, certainly then, and and yeah. and among people who were from that time, that that word is uh, is a badge of shame, uh, and the, um, the 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 hatred and invective that they heap upon us because of that means that it is a flag I will always stand by. It's yeah. it's uh, it's a bloody <coughs> banner because many people have suffered because of it. Most people. Most people in the wider world aren't aware of what pansexual even means. At least people know what bisexual means. Uh, they know it enough to hate it. Uh, and and while people continue to hate it, that's why I'll continue to, to stand, stand fast behind it. That's what I identify. <laughs> even though, as, as, as I was saying just like Angela, in actual fact, most bisexual people are probably functionally pansexual anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. I would say so. Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say <laughs> to people regardless of gender because, as Angela was saying, it what someone's gender is is part of that person. The, yeah, part part of them, and, and and probably why you find that they're attractive. It doesn't necessarily put you off, but it, it's 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 not it's not a thing you can just like choose not not to to, to notice. By and trans people are very excluded. Yeah, you know, and uh, so we both have experience. Uh, of, of, in a different being, way, obviously yeah. in a different way, because trans people more so because of the Gender Recognition Act. I mean, you can't really, yeah, bi people have expe- do experience prejudice and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. not quite on the same level of hate, really, I would say. But there's trans people at the moment, but because that's trans, not to say that they don't. Because you know, bi people aren't as identifiable as trans people. It's almost like it's really almost is. like we don't exist. It's almost like. Like the we, we don't we don't have yeah. any issues, yeah. you know. We we're we can pass it straight, and we um, can this and we can that, you know. We don't have any problems, you know, but we get people asking us for threesomes and stuff. Yeah. 
I've never had a hey, don't knock in my life. I've never, I've never been asked. You know, so I don't like people assuming that, that just because I identify a certain way that that's what I'm up for. Yeah. That's yeah. It. That was the biggest annoyance. So I started to not not like straight men. You know, I was <laughs> I found myself I would only date by men oh. or by women, yeah. and I thought that's making me limit my choices. Yeah. Because I had a girlfriend who said, oh, you're going to go back to a man. And I thought, go back. Well, I thought, I never left. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but essentially, mm. mm. both have, have experience of mm. uh, being marginalised and generally yeah. hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like, like two entirely different animals because mm. trans people are usually very um, uh, identifiable uh, and, and, and by people are... Are um, a, almost yeah. o- almost the significant that, that that we have in common is that we can like blend in with with, with our environment mm-hmm. and and nobody who 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 doesn't know that we're by wouldn't know that we're by because it's just so so great blending in. We had to be. We, probably, we don't really. We wouldn't prefer to to, to blend in and and just mm-hmm. everyone else, but we had to do that usually for for reasons of survival. Um, I was going to say this, it, it, don't be, be put off straight men because half of them are actually bisexual anyway. Uh, <laughs> probably more than half. <laughs> um, uh, that, that's a thing that I found as being, yeah, being a bisexual man as opposed to a bisexual woman. I don't know how bisexual women are. As, as, as Angela has, has um, intimated, they tend to get invited for threesomes all the time. Uh, as a as a bisexual man, usually just for reasons of, of self preservation, um, most bisexual men identify as straight. Even more bizarrely, they they so often they're blending in so well that they don't even recognise each other because they don't even to themselves they don't even consider their bisexuality as a sexuality. They, they tend to, to think of it as their gay side. So that there's gay and straight. And then the same person, but they can't can't identify their own bisexuality. With many projects around LGBT plus spaces and queer mapping, I'm left wondering if these groups would ever have existed at all without the LGBTQI plus centre. Thanks for listening to Fifty Years of Rainbow Activism. The series was organised by Pink Saltire, funded by the National Lottery Communities Fund Scotland, and special thanks to Our Story Scotland for archiving our interviews at the National Library of Scotland. To find out more or to get involved in similar projects, please visit pinksaltire.com.